Welcome to another episode of Rocking Our Prize. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Evans, and today's episode is entitled, Will the BJP Save Muslim Women? Now, Indian Muslims have always been free to apply their own personal laws concerning marriage, divorce and inheritance. Congress upheld legal pluralism so as not to aggravate the minority. Modi has no such reservations. He's pursuing a uniform civil code and presents this as a victory for Muslim women. He's probably right. A UCC would improve gender equality if women can claim their equal rights. To do so, they need economic autonomy and public safety. Right, now let me give you a layout of what I'm going to discuss. Conservative opposition to state interference. Then let's think about what do Muslim women actually want. Would a UCC advance gender equality? Are Muslims more patriarchal compared to Hindus in, in India? And then the impacts of communal violence. Let's start with a little bit of history. Conservative opposition to state interference. Now, under Muslim personal law, a man was only obliged to support his divorced wife for three months. After this idat period, the divorce was complete. He was no longer liable. Now, in divine, in direct contravention of divine law, Indira Gandhi's government legislated that all divorced women were entitled to maintenance. This 1973 amendment of the Criminal Procedure Code applied to all women, including Muslims. A decade later, claiming her legal rights, Shah Banu, a divorced elderly woman in Madhya Pradesh, appealed to the Supreme Court. She won that maintenance. Now, progressive Muslims supported the Supreme Court ruling. Writing to Rajiv Gandhi, they highlighted that divorced women enjoyed the right to maintenance in a number of Muslim countries. Morocco, Egypt, Iraq, Turkey, Libya, Tunisia, Syria and Algeria. Women's organisations also expressed support. Conservatives were outraged, however. The All Indian Muslim Personal Law Board, formed after the Criminal Procedure Code Amendment, deeply opposed judicial interference. They mobilised huge rallies across the country. 300,000 marched in Bombay. They demonstrated that any effort to overrule divine law would be resisted. Keen to preserve their support, Rajiv Gandhi's government legislated that divorced Muslim women were no longer entitled to maintenance. Now, fast forward 40 years, the BJP is in power. It has no compunctions about aggravating Muslims. Parliament has tr criminalised Triple Talak, a man who repeats... I divorce you, may find himself imprisoned for three years. Heeding concerns from Muslim women, this law provides some protection against desertion and destitution. But the benefit should not be overstated. Criminalising triple talaq only means that women are still married to men who would rather abandon them. This is no guarantee of equal respect or resources within marriage, nor does it reduce sexist violence. For many... This was just another attempt to hound and persecute Muslim men. Now, what do Muslim women actually want? 
Muslim women have organised to reform family laws, improve women's autonomy and protect them from abuse. In Tamil Nadu, Muslim women organise their own jamaat that's independent from male-run mosque committees. Steps, that's a Muslim women's NGO, publishes a magazine on Muslim women's rights, listens to women's petitions, organises discussions and provides legal aid. In Lucknow, they formed an all-India Muslim women's personal law board. Several women's courts have been established by the BMA, which is the Muslim Women's Movement of India. Female Kazis, judges, listen and provide advice. As one activist explained, There are so many rights given to women in the Quran that are not found in the books of any other religion. But the religious authorities mislead people. They misuse their position. The ulama are an almost entirely male group. They give everything a patriarchal interpretation, interpreting the text to suit their own interests. So, given this, would a uniform civil code advance gender equality? I wonder. Yes, I think yes. If women can claim their equal rights. To do so, they need economic autonomy and public safety. But... India's rate of female employment is low and falling. Men go out into the world, run family businesses, migrate to new economic opportunities and resolve community disputes. As long as women are economically dependent on male guardians, they're unlikely to make claims or agitate against them. Hindu women are legally entitled to divorce and alimony, but this does not seem to improve their capacity to leave abusive men. Divorce rates remain very low. Hindu women rarely claim their inheritance for fear of alienating kin. Family courts are seen by many women as slow, corrupt and unsympathetic. Legal cases tend to languish for years, requiring funds that many women do not have. Taking private matters to court is widely considered shameful. Even if women do approach the courts, keen to file for divorce, they're often encouraged to reunite. Where will she go? What will she do? Asked one social worker at the Madras Family Court. Even if alimony was duly paid, it would still be insufficient. In Delhi, Hindu women are usually encouraged to reconcile with their abusive husbands. Low female employment and property ownership are major constraints. Now here's a question. Are Muslims more patriarchal? The Hindu right would certainly pretend that they are. Now, looking at the evidence, we find... Um, and I'm citing uh, Desai and Temsa here, here, that Muslim women are much more likely to practice purdah. They're also less likely to participate in the labour force and earn money. And, and Desai and Temsa analysing nationally representative data. But, interestingly, religion makes no difference to women's household decision-making concerning what to cook, whether to buy expensive items, how many children to have, their health care and marriages. Religion makes no difference to female autonomy over domestic matters. It is more freely exercised in the South, as shown by J. Jeboy and Sathar. In terms of child mortality, Muslim families are actually more egalitarian. Muslim daughters have better chances of survival. Female employment is low, especially among Muslim women, and this has been exacerbated by communal violence. So a little bit of background. Muslim communities are increasingly ghettoised. Communities seek to protect themselves, especially women, from external attack. In 2002, a train was burnt in Gujarat, killing 58 Hindu pilgrims. 
In retaliation, there was sustained communal violence. Women and girls were stripped, paraded naked, gang-raped, mutilated, quartered and burnt. I'm going to read out two extracts from survivors now, from Sultani and Medina. I fell behind as I was carrying my son, Faison. The men caught me from behind and threw me on the ground. Faison fell from my arms and started crying. My clothes were stripped off by the men and I was left stark naked. One by one the men raped me. All the while I could hear my son crying. I lost count after three. Then they had cut my foot with a sharp weapon and left me there in that state. Sultani. And now here's Medina. My mind was seething with fear and fury. I could do nothing to help my daughter from being sexually assaulted and tortured to death. My daughter was like a flower, still to experience life. Why did they have to do this to her? What, what kind of men are these? The monsters tore my beloved daughter to pieces. After a while, the mob was saying, cut them to pieces. Leave no evidence. I saw fires being lit. After some time, the mob started leaving and it became quiet. I, I read those out to sort of set the scene um, for what happened next. After the ma massacre, Muslim women feared leaving the ghetto. Is a quote from Farida. I'm worried that if I go to Satellite, a Hindu-dominated area, I have to cross at least 10 Dalit neighbourhoods. If somewhere they catch me, the first thing they will do is to rape. Then they will kill me or burn me. So rape is the foremost fear. By remaining in their ghetto and veiling, Muslim women can mark themselves as community members and secure local protection. By shrinking their worlds, women gain safety. Some women do want to venture out for school, work and leisure, but a constraint. After the riots, Muslim women experience heightened surveillance, stricter dress codes and earlier curfews. Uh, here are some quotes. Um, first from an activist, uh, Safiya Niaz. The men decided that they did not want their women to go out because it meant crossing the other communities' areas. So the world of the women just shrank. And here is uh, Dr. Shaikh, who's a school principal. We find that after the riots, many more parents do not want to send their children to school outside the area. And here's Asaya, who wanted to work in advertising. You can't do what you want to do. You pursue a job that fits in with their ideas of appropriate timings for girls to be out. So usually you just become a teacher. And she did that part time. Feeling threatened and under siege. Muslim communities have tightened restrictions on women's mobility and economic autonomy. This constrains women's capacity to explore the city, loiter with friends, expand their horizons, critique unfair practices and organise for reforms. Moreover, many Muslim women are reluctant to publicly decry Islamic practices unless their words be weaponised by the Hindu right. Islamic organizations such as the Jamata Islamic have also gained influence by providing crucial relief. In sum, a uniform civil code would likely advance gender equality if women can claim their equal rights. To do so, they need economic autonomy and public safety. This holds for Muslim and Hindu women alike. Well, thank you very much for listening. I'm Dr. Alice Evans. Take care.